Hello, Internet, and welcome to this episode of the Geeks Grading Geekdom Show podcast thing. I am Wes Shahola, and every week I talk about something in the wide world of geekdom and give it a grade. And that means movies or TV, books, comics, or whatever else I put my focus on, and I try to do it without dropping any spoilers at all. This week, it's all about the latest Spider-Man movie, Across the Spider-Verse. I talked a little bit about this when I did the episode on trailer and gave them grades a couple weeks ago, so some of my speculations were a bit off, but that's why there's called speculations. It's also why I don't get too excited about rumors about these kind of projects. What some people may not be too excited about also is what can honestly be called a glut of superhero films for the past 15 years. No shortage of them being Spider-Man movies. Before Iron Man hit theaters in 2008, we had the Sam Raimi trilogy, which went from really good to great to what the hell really was that supposed to be? Oh, the studio got involved and wanted to squeeze in more characters. Okay. Uh, but then they started again with the two amazing Spider-Man films, with the adjective here coming from corporate branding, not critical opinion. And I really can't honestly throw out an opinion about the second one, since I just chose to skip it. And then we finally got Spider-Man in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. He popped up in, Aven in Captain America Civil War, which some people call Avengers 2.5, like I literally almost did just now. He was in Avengers Infinity War, and he was in Endgame, and at the same time was starring in another trilogy of his own. That was Homecoming, Far From Home, and No Way Home. Almost, but not quite buried in all of that. And yes, I'm skipping the movies from the 70s, so uh, skip it. Uh, amid all of that, in 2018, we got Sony's Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. This was the Oscar-winning animated film with Miles Morales as the title character and also beat the MCU to the multiverse by a few years. So just in case you don't know, the character of Miles was not invented for that movie. He was created in 2011 for Marvel's Ultimate Comic Book line, which was supposed to do a couple of things. It was supposed to be a really good entry point for newer fans because it didn't have about 50 years of continuity baggage. It was also supposed to be tighter because all of the characters introduced over those 50 years could be reused from the start. And it was also supposed to be grittier and skew a little more adult than the main line. And it started out doing all of that pretty well, but couldn't keep up the momentum and went, well, just off. But it, that's a story for a whole other time. What I was getting to was this. With this huge pile of superhero movies, nine of them starring some iteration of Spider-Man, two with several, and him showing up in three others, is there fatigue... And is there especially Spider-Man fatigue? Not for me, but that's really no surprise because I really like the Supers, always have. And judging by the box office totals of the, new, uh, of the sequel's first weekend, maybe not for the general public either. And I think that's good news because the first Miles as Spider-Man movie was spectacular, pun intended. 
it had a unique look. It used the medium in beautiful, energetic ways that none of the live actions could. So in the sequel, Miles Morales is back as Spider-Man one year and maybe a few growth spurts after the first movie. And, you know, actually, back is a little off. He's, he's never stopped being Spider-Man for a while and then picked it back up. So he's it's just a year of him being Spider-Man. We see him in the movie dealing with a villain who, in the comics was small time and a little silly, albeit with a cool gimmick. It's, I'm, talking, I'm talking about the spots, and his gimmick, of course, being his spots. He can draw them off his body, and he can use them like portals from the game of the same name, but smaller. Gwen is back to that bit at the end of the last movie where all the various spider heroes went back to their home dimension, unable to ever return. You remember that? Well, it turns out dimension hopping isn't all that difficult because there is a secret interdimensional club of spider hero variants. Yes, like in Loki, but this series belongs to Sony, so they are not bound by the continuity of the MCU. The head of this group, which is Spider-Man from the 2099 comic series, he will not have Miles as a member. Never even wanted him to know of its existence, and he's pissed even that he managed to get into the headquarters of the place. Why that is exactly, and how it relates to Gwen suddenly returning to visit Miles, is key to the whole plot. And it calls back to the first movie in a big way. And so does the villain, which is revealed in a hilarious callback. It's referencing a literal blink-and-you-miss-it joke from that first movie, and it's a joke the writers made to come back to haunt Miles in a brilliantly devised way. It, it was very cool to, to first to have that callback made and then to go back once I got home and watch that moment that is calling back to on video. That was that was something else. So well done for that touch. And really, if I tell you much more, I'm going to be getting into spoilers territory. What's not a spoiler is this interdimensional club of spider heroes and all the references and the Easter eggs and the scenes that take place in, in that headquarters. They are many and they are rapid fire. We do get the benefit of pop-up dialogue boxes detailing who's in at least one scene, but man, these things are moving so fast I could not read a single one of them. And I tried. I focused on one that I saw coming out from the edge of the screen and looked at it and tried to follow it as it traveled across the screen. And I couldn't, it just I went by way too fast. So when it comes to streaming this movie, people are going to be hitting the pause button a lot just to catch everything that's in these scenes. Those little dialogue boxes that tells us who's who, the other blink and you'll miss them appearances and there's some spider folk in there that are kind of generic looking but I'll, I'll get to that i'm sure the producers and the art directors knew that people are going to be hitting pause a lot when this hits streaming so making things fully legible in the theater was probably not their main big concern what clearly was was making this um this movie a piece of absolutely stunning beauty it is gorgeous. The way they use light and color is, is simply breathtaking. Another reason I'm going to be using that pause button when it comes on streaming is to just look at some of these scenes. That they're, some of them look like things you would like to have as a print on your wall. So 
Beyond just being gorgeous, though, the artist took full advantage of this being an animated film. I mean, they did that in the first one, but they somehow piled on even more taking advantage of it being animated in this sequel. We have hundreds of variations of spider heroes. There's lots of room to stretch and explore art styles, and they did. There is a critically important character who looks like he walked out of a 70s punk rock zine with all that clipped out ragged art following him around. We get a Lego Spider-Man, a Western cowboy Spider-Man. We get references to other media spider heroes in their original style. We get a villain of parchment. All of this on one trailer or another, so it's not really a spoiler. We also get to see moments from various superheroes or spider heroes past and get to see live action mixed with animation in ways that are just seamless. And yeah, I know the tech to do that has been around since even before Who Framed Roger Rabbit, but it is especially well used here. And what this all adds up to is a film that utilizes various different styles of animation, sometimes very different. And they use it to add a visual aspect to the story in a way I've really never seen before. It just adds to the storytelling. And through all of this, the, in the storytelling, we get great heartfelt moments. Miles' relation with his parents gets a lot of attention, and all of it deserved, and all of it well executed. These slower parts add really a lot of depth, not just to Miles, but also to his parents. They're involved in his life, they are proud of his accomplishments, while also being very worried about some of his weird and suspicious actions. Most of those weird and suspicious actions, of course, come from him keeping his secret identity a, <laughs> a secret from them. But Dad Jefferson and Mom Rio, they're good parents. They're doing their best with him while working careers as a police lieutenant and a nurse. They care enough to actually show up to a parent guidance counselor conference at Miles Elite School and defend him with his, when he's late. There's also in that scene a nice little bit where Rio reminds the guidance counselor that as a Puerto Rican, she is actually a natural-born United States citizen and not an immigrant. So, nice touch. There's that's part of the humor, and there's a lot of humor in this film, too. Some coming from playing out tropes and sometimes from turning them sideways, and sometimes it is just like they took a meme of some kind or a Spider-Man-based meme and just exploded it up a thousandfold to make it funny in this film. And sometimes the humor also comes from just completely subverting expectations in a way that makes sense and is still funny. There's... Oh, there's jokes that extend into the background with some of the billboards and the signs that are, well, everywhere because Brooklyn. And in the same way we get to see into Miles' home life, we get a nice and deep look at Gwen Stacy's. And that is the Spider-Woman Gwen, not the one who died in Amazing Spider-Man issue 121 and the second ASM movie. Like her, though, this Gwen is the daughter of widowed police Captain Stacy. We in fact start with her before getting to Miles, which turns out works just fine. Uh, subverted expectations with a great payoff, because you would expect to start with Miles. Uh, but it works mostly because we learn through Gwen the background of this whole movie, 
which is something the plot demanded Miles couldn't get to know from the start. He had to find it out through the course of the movie. So now I've, I have said no spoilers. So I am leaving out something critical that could really affect your enjoyment of this film. I have gone back and forth on whether to mention it because it is something that almost in every review I've read has mentioned, but that makes for a large part of me that feels remiss not to say it. However, a larger part of me wants you to have the same chance I did to have this thing hit you as a surprise. So here is my advice if you want to avoid any big spoilers of this film, and this really is one of the biggest. Do not read reviews or scroll YouTube for anything related to this film before you see it if you want no spoilers. You know, and knowing how YouTube is, I'd avoid even looking at the headlines. For those of you who have seen it, uh, understand it drove me crazy. But I'm willing to trust the writers and producers to give us a good payoff when the time comes. No. Now, with all that said, here is the grade. Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse gets an A from me. Depending on how things develop, I may adjust this upwards, but it's too soon to tell. So, there we go. I know this is running short, but without spoilers, there's only so much I can go on. If you like hero movies at all, you will love this. This one is one of the best. Absolutely, go see it. The uh, text line, if you want to let me know how right or wrong I am about this, is 901-878-9420. The email address, if you've got something longer to say, is mail at drakehallmemphis.com. As always, if there's any other topic in the wide world of geekdom you'd like for me to address in gray, please let me know that too. For now, thanks for listening. I am Wes Yehola, and I hope I was worth your valuable time. This is Drake Digital. <laughs>